Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music. And just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at CMiriam. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show and all of our episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can also follow along on our website at theuptake.org. That's T-H-E-U-P-T-A-K-E. And you can reach our show at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we're discussing the work and the future of the House Select Committee on Racial Justice with Representative Rena Moran, who represents Minnesota House District 65A, which includes this Frogtown neighborhood and who recently won re-election to her seat. A special thank you to our newest sponsor, The Uptake, where I work as executive director, for their support of this show. You can also check out The Uptake's work again at theuptake.org. Today, we'll begin with a segment from the last meeting of the House Select Committee on Racial Justice, from public testimony that was shared during that meeting. Uh, good I, afternoon. My name is Latricia Vitaw, and I'm the Director of Health Policy and Advocacy at North Point Health and Wellness Center in North Minneapolis. I also serve as a Minneapolis Parks Commissioner. I'm representing Minnesotans for a Smoke-Free Generation, a coalition of 60-plus organizations preventing youth tobacco addiction. I also co-chair the Menthol Coalition, a group fighting the specific problem of menthol tobacco, especially in the Black community. Um, I want to thank you for creating this committee to address systemic institutionalized racism faced by Black Minnesotans, as well as Indigenous people and other communities of color. Racism is a public health crisis. One huge step we can take to address this crisis is ending sales of menthol tobacco products. Menthol is a cooling chemical that makes it easier to start smoking, easier to inhale, and harder to quit. For decades, Big Tobacco has marketed menthol cigarettes specifically to African-American people, advertising in black publications in neighborhoods, sponsoring concerts. They even used to drive around black neighborhoods handing out free samples of menthol cigarettes. Today, 88% of black smokers smoke menthols. So it is any wonder why African-Americans have the highest death rate and shortest survival rate for the most cancers. Also, black people are 53% more likely to die from heart disease, the top smoking related disease. Now, research shows many black smokers say if menthol were banned, they quit altogether. Yet again and again, menthol gets exempted from flavor policies. For example, since the federal government restricted certain fruit and candy e-cigs, menthol e-cigarette use is soaring. Today, 30% of high school vape vapors use menthol e-cigs and menthol products now account for half of all e-cigarette sales. Of course, black people aren't the only ones hurt by menthol products. They're popular among all demographics, kids, Latinx, LGBTQ, and yes, even white straight people. We can't let the tobacco industry continue addicting and harming the next generation. Our coalition has worked to pass local policies to build momentum for a statewide law. 
a few weeks ago, Fridley became the 17th Minnesota community to, to restrict flavor sales. 30 seconds. Five Minnesota cities have completely prohibited the sale of flavored tobacco product. Now the biggest difference would be a strong federal ban on menthol, but our health can't wait for the FDA. Earlier this year, a bill to take flavored tobacco products off the market cleared the committee process in the Minnesota House. In 2021, let's expand our bipartisan coalition to protect the health of all Minnesotans from all flavored tobacco products, especially menthol. Thank you. I also had the opportunity to speak with Representative Rena Moran about the House Select Committee on Racial Justice. Here's that pre-recorded interview now. How do we move forward? Now what? And so you're right. We have completed our, our hearing portions and we're gathering all the information, all the recommendations that we have received from community, um, the experts in the field, those who presented, and also community members. And we're bringing all those recommendations together so that uh, we can um, take those recommendations, create a document, present it to members of the select committee, have more conversations about that, and vote those recommendations that have been put together um, and begin to move it into 2021 is to, one, oh, there's so much we want to do, right? There's so much we want to do. First thing we're going to do is we're going to take those recommendations and introduce those recommendations to our caucus. Uh, our chairs of the different committees, um, and so that we in the Minnesota House of Representatives can begin to lead through a race-conscious lens on how we can improve outcomes, not just in health care, but in education, in jobs, and workforce. Um, uh, it's it's going to be a, a really holistic approach to solutions through the lens that we saw been presented uh, within those hearings that took place. Mm-hmm. And then second, we would like to also, you know, uh, for bill introduction, is to take some of these recommendations and to be able to see members take up those recommendations and put them into language that, where they can be introduced in, in, in committees. Mm-hmm. So this was the first year that we had the Select Committee on Racial Justice, correct? This is the first time in Minnesota history that we have focused on the Select Committee on Racial Justice. And the first time in Minnesota history that we have declared racism as a health care crisis in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's particularly pertinent this year in the midst of the pandemic when we're talking about, um, you know, uh, black communities being hospitalized for COVID at four or five times the rate of, Mm -hmm. you know, white communities. Like the numbers are just um, absolutely tragic. Yeah. We're looking at it. Um, And I will say as an educator, one of the things I've been telling my students just with this sort of information is they're not just in the midst of one pandemic. They're really in the midst of two. And that second one is racial injustice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What is this going to mean for January as the legislature 
um, comes back into a regular session. These discussions have been had. You've told, talked about doing a presentation around the recommendations, but I mean, the politics move slow. What what can we expect as session comes back into into being in, in the new year? Yeah, and you're right. That, you know, um, politics does move up slow. Um, and when you are a divided legislature, as we are here in the state of Minnesota, uh, more importantly, we are the only divided legislature in the country uh, with competing ideology around um, racial injustices, around disparities, around racism, and around, and around structural, systemic racism. You have one body who has declared it, has named it, and is, is recognizing it and in a way through these hearings, validating all of that. And then we have a Senate who refused to um, say that structural racism is real, that racism happened, that the United States of America is, was created on the back of um, black men and women and families. Slavery was real. Um, we, so that is what we're working with, two different ideologies competing um, that is uh, polar opposite from each other. And so we have to be really clear that in the Minnesota House of Representatives, this is a, a priority for us uh, as we move forward into t 2021. But nothing happens in the legislature through one body. In the legislature, a bill has to be introduced in power. It has to be introduced in the Senate. And it has to move through those bodies and pass off each respective floors, the Minnesota House floor and the Senate floor, in order to go before the governor for a signature. And mm -hmm. so our work going into 2021 as a leg as a legislative body, myself and others as legislators, is to just do that. Introduce the bills, get some companion bills moving in the Senate. But there is also a place and a role for community to play. And that is that um, we need legislators, we need, we need community members from across the state of Minnesota just as well as they came out and proved that their vote matter in the polling place, to also be present at the Capitol, to be present, to be sending emails, to be sending letters to, you know, Republicans, to the governor, to House members, to say that this is a priority for us and it needs to be a priority for the state. Because I am one who believes that the power of the people it is what moves legislators and officials to do the right thing. That is what happened with George Floyd movement and the protesting here in, in Minnesota, um, around the country and around the world. We had to produce something around police accountability, and we did it because the people were speaking to us. And so my hope is that we can have that same type of willpower coming from the people around racial injustices. Mm -hmm. I think that's really exciting and powerful to me. And I know to the people who would read this article, listen to this episode, that 
this idea that community has so much power in that legislative yeah. process. Um, what do you want next year's, uh, you've hinted at this, you've touched on this, but I'd love to go in more in detail when thinking about racial justice in the legislature. What do you want next year's session to look like? Where do you want this conversation on racial, injust, uh, racial justice and racial injustice to go? Well, I, I want to see it moving through the body. I want to see us be in, in collaboration and in partnership with community members. I do believe that a lot of these initiatives will be led by our People of Color Indigenous Caucus. And so as, as diverse uh, as we are currently now in the Minnesota House of Representatives, I think we now are up to, look, 16 legislators of color. And again, that is the most diverse representation in the history of Minnesota politics. And so with that, that allows us to each respectively to go into our communities individually, you know, with the Asian caucus, with the Black caucus, with the Latina caucus, with the Indigenous caucus, and again, to begin to um, engage and um, uh, have conversations and you know, take our community recommendations and begin to build on that while also doing the same within the Capitol. And it's going to take all of that. It's going to take all of that and more on the issue that is so important as this issue is. But we know that in the midst of that, we do have a Republican Senate who do not see the world the way we see the world. Mm -hmm. But I'm hopeful that we can find some compromise around some of these issues that is that is that affects you know educational outcomes you know having more teachers of color in the classroom um just really creating more pathways you know making sure that we're not suspending black and brown bodies at schools in a high rate that we're looking at social distancing in the era of this virus in a way that is not going to allow our kids to fall further behind but creative processes that's going to invest in their lives and their parents' lives and nonprofits' lives and our community lives that we can move forward. And so our hope is to see that in every every area. Our black businesses, our businesses of color are being impacted by this pandemic. Our small businesses, our, our moms and pop businesses, we need to make sure that they're able to survive through this pandemic right, because it is those moms and pops businesses in our community that is the economic drivers in our community. And so we have to make sure that we are moving policies in a way that lifts them up and supports them in that way. And definitely within our health and human service arena, looking at maternal health, you know, utilizing more doulas. You know, making sure our community health clinics are being are surviving because those community health clinics in our community are where we see our 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 families uh, interacting, going to, right? Because they have people that work there that looks like like them, that are a reflection of them, that speak multiple languages, and so we have work to do that that help us, especially at this moment when we are in a pandemic that our communities are not left out the process and that we're doing our work through a race equity lens. Mm -hmm. So I know that many people are unfamiliar with legislative processes. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm very curious about is how the select committee came to be and um, whether we can expect to see it again. So the, um, the select committee came out of uh, really Representative Ruth Richardson. You know, we were all having a conversation about um, declaring racism a public health crisis. And really, this is a movement that is going on across the country. Well, definitely, I know I'm a part of two national organizations, the National Black Caucus of State Legislators and the National Organization of Black Elected uh, Legislators who are women. Within those two national organizations, this conversation has been going on with black leaders across the country. And so we know with Minnesota having the worst disparities, some of the worst disparities in the country, that it was important that we also lead in the state of Minnesota around this narrative uh, of racism being a healthcare crisis. Mm-hmm. And so uh, under the leadership of uh, Representative Ruth Richardson, who sat down and wrote the, wrote the language, and then we introduced this language in the Minnesota House of Representatives through a resolution, a resolution that officially declared racism as a public health crisis that came to the Minnesota House chamber where we had open discussions about it and we voted the resolution of the House floor with bipartisan support. So in the Minnesota House, it was supported by all the Democrats, and I think we were able to get at least five or six Republicans to all support it. So it's a bipartisan uh, resolution that passed off the House floor. So within the language of the resolution was was this part of the the resolution, was one part of the resolution saying that we will create a subcommittee to work on uh, racism, racism as a healthcare crisis, and so that is how it came to be. It came out of that resolution that was passed off the House floor. Wonderful. I always thought the topics discussed during the select committee were so powerful on, you know, adverse childhood experiences of racism, mm-hmm. looking at childhood um, mortality and maternal morbidity. I mean, they, these were incredibly mm-hmm. powerful topics and. They were presented in ways that were really engaging, but I do think the most powerful one was, um, I think, the fourth meeting when test, public testimony was was taken for yeah. the That for yeah. me, uh, we aired that one in um, an hour of that episode on the show because we mm. really thought it was appropriate to just put that out there for people to hear. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's something that you know, as, as black legislators. Um, as let's say color, because we do know and recognize that often um, community is not able to participate in the legislative process because you know so much is going on in their lives. You know they have kids, they have family, but we also know that they are the experts and that their uh, stories and their recommendations and how they see the world was important for us 
to to do and create a process to make that happen, but also to record those recommendations. And so, like you, really, that was one of my favorite parts of the hearings also. It was powerful, just powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you think that this neighborhood, Frogtown, St. Paul, that we need to know about the work happening for racial justice in the legislature? Anything that you think that, I mean, I know as reporters, we don't get every story, but is there anything you think is happening that you think is really crucial that we understand about the work? Uh, well, one, I guess it's important for our community to know that this work is going on at the Capitol and it's been led by legislators of color. I think that is first because I think it's important for community to know that uh, as we are discussing um, racism at the Capitol, that we hear, we see you, we hear you, you are us, we come from the community. Um, and uh, for the People of Color Indigenous Caucus, which we call the Posse Caucus, mm-hmm. is that, you know, uh, we are not just legislators. We are mothers, we are aunts, we are fathers. Um, you know, we are from these communities. And we just so happen took uh, it up to another step to say that it's important that we are a part of the legislature so that we can bring our lived experience to the Capitol and begin to transform how the legislative process works and how we engage at the Capitol importantly, voices of our communities into the capital, right? And bring those also voices back from the capital back to our community. That is really highly important to us as legislators who know that laws and policies have not always been created fair and just for our community. And even when laws and policies have been created, it's the practices that we see back happening in our community, in the workplace, and other places that are uh, unfair and and, and unjust. And so let me just say, personally for myself as a legislator who represents Frogtown, is that my hope is that, you know, um, that you can create a space for myself and maybe myself and two both to come on as the legislative session goes on so that we can be a part of keeping the community informed too. And let's do this together. I Absolutely think that would we will be reporting on the legislature every week during session. Oh, okay. Thanks to Representative Moran for joining us for that segment. Just a few announcements before I sign off for today. Our sponsor, The Uptake, is a community news organization that highlights and, and really centers discussions around social and racial justice. While we're currently in the midst of a two-month fundraiser, supported by Newsmatch and the Institute for Nonprofit News. They've got a little bit less than $10,500 left in an $11,500 matching grant, and every dollar helps. You can give a few dollars at givemn.org slash organization slash uptake. That's U-P-T-A-K-E. And, and we thank you deeply for your support. Our goal is in the next week to raise 20 sustaining donors at $20 a piece for one year. Your donation will be matched, doubled by Newsmatch, and it will help us keep putting this show on the air. 
The Uptake will also be offering a free community journalism training on November 19th from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can email this show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com to reach me, request details, and RSVP. You can also find information on Facebook. And like I said, the event is free, though you can donate what you're able, and it will also be matched by Newsmatch. And we've also got an event on December 13th at the Eastside Freedom Library called Envisioning Community Journalism. Expect more details on that soon. Again, it's free, but you can donate what you can, and it will be matched by Newsmatch. And just a reminder that you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe and healthy.